I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but the worst were the ones where I was trying to help someone and I made things worse. So often though, our efforts to do good can backfire. When I was studying psychology, I learned about Scared Straight. It was a program designed to help kids keep out of trouble by freaking them out in high security prisons. It was so popular that a film about it even won the Academy Award. But Scared Straight was not only ineffective, scaring these kids increased the chance that they'd re-offend. Even though Scared Straight was trying to make things better, it made things a lot worse. For every dollar spent on the program, it caused $293 worth of harm to society. Our intuitions had clearly failed us, and it wasn't until we looked closely that we discovered how badly. Without a scientific mindset, our efforts to do good can lead to bad outcomes. This was the first mistake I made when my efforts to try to improve the world. I wasn't using the tools of science and reason to think carefully about what might actually make a difference. That's the idea behind effective altruism, to use science and reason to do as much good as possible. Most of us believe in science. We trust our doctor, we're glad schools teach astronomy and not astrology, and we want our children launching water rockets and want scientists launching actual rockets. But often we forget the tools of science when we're trying to do good in the world. For example, when we donate to charity, we want to know that our donations are likely to improve the others' lives. But for a long time, I never looked to see if there was any research for what charities were achieving. How much good was it doing? I'd spend more time researching things like what laptop I should buy or where to go for brunch. In the same vein, I wanted to help people with my career, but I never really stopped to think what kind of career was the most effective for helping people. As we saw from Scared Straight, when looking to do good, we need the tools of science to know we're making a difference. We need to complement our intention to do good with science and reason if we actually want to have a positive impact. If we don't use these tools, we might end up doing harm or we might not be doing as much good as we can. The reason for this was my second mistake. I focused on what compelled me, not the most important problems. When I would try to help people, I'd find it easy to feel the emotional pull of a GoFundMe campaign. Maybe someone needed a few thousand dollars for treatment of a one in a million disease. We're all emotionally compelled by the stories of people who need our help. So we often direct our time and money towards these really compelling problems. The problem is, we don't often hear the story of a mother in Papua New Guinea whose first baby was struck with malaria. When I think about a mum losing her baby before they make it to five, like when I think about her crying at her daughter's funeral, I really want to help her too. Each year malaria affects over 200 million people and kills over 350,000 children. These bigger problems are hard to focus on because in our society, we're more likely to see sad stories from our community, like a tragic car crash. These are tragic. Being from a wealthy country doesn't prevent you from tragedies. But to put a spin on an old quote, one death is a tragedy and a million deaths are a million tragedies. Effective altruism helps us to focus on reducing the number of tragedies, rather than reducing the sting of the tragedy that just happens to be in front of us. But it can still be hard to have an impact even when the problem affects millions of people. You might remember that Haiti was hit by a devastating earthquake about a decade ago. Thousands of people lost their lives and everyone wanted to help, including myself. The American Red Cross raised half a billion dollars, one of the most successful fundraising efforts in the charity's history. But ProPublica did a report on how much the Red Cross had achieved after five years. Despite that half billion dollars in donations, it had only managed to rebuild six homes. One reason the Red Cross may have struggled to do more was that the problem wasn't neglected. The whole world came to Haiti's rescue. 
the United States, the European Council and the United Nations to name a few. And so as a result, most of the straightforward fixes were already taken care of, so there wasn't much left for the Red Cross to maybe help with. This was my third mistake. I piled onto problems that others were already focused on, rather than looking for ones that hadn't received so much attention. There is low-hanging fruit all over the world. There are so many cheap, effective interventions that are massively underfunded because they don't hit our emotional hot buttons. I want people in Haiti to have houses and I want parents to stop losing their kids to malaria. Because malaria is so much more neglected, the money raised by the Red Cross could have been much more effective if it was used to fight malaria. In fact, that amount probably could have saved over 100,000 lives. More generally, we can usually make a much bigger difference by picking the low-hanging fruit. We can choose the things that are more neglected. The benefit of this idea goes beyond donating money and also applies to your career. For example, the world spends more money on ice cream than we do on strategies that try to directly prevent humanity from going extinct. For example, to prevent the next pandemic from being man-made, the world established a biological weapons convention. But the enforcement of this convention has a smaller budget than the average McDonald's. If someone was trying to make a difference, focusing on causes like pandemic preparedness might be more influential than piling onto a problem that already has millions of people supporting it. So while it's good that the world puts trillions of dollars into disaster relief, international development, education, preventing terrorism, and poverty relief in rich countries, the low-hanging fruit in these areas could have already been taken. This means that we can have more of an influence in areas where fewer people are focused, even if they're a little bit out of left field. It's exactly because they're out of left field that we can make such a big influence in these areas. But if you're like me, you might struggle to see how you can help fix a big neglected problem. Fortunately, there are people all over the world trying to find the most effective ways of solving all of these problems. Those people have found that some solutions are much, much more cost effective than others. For example, it's quite common to think that the best charity is only a little bit better than the average charity. The truth is that the best charities are over a hundred times more cost effective than the average ones. Say, for example, I wanted to spend $1,000 to improve education. And like most people, let's assume I don't think children are worth more or less depending on where they were born. I could, for example, donate uniforms to one student at an Australian private school. I could provide 200 uniforms to students in Kenya, or for the same money I could deworm 2,000 children in areas where intestinal worms make children too sick to go to school. Now, obviously I'm very lucky that my parents spent thousands on my education. But compared with donating uniforms at my old school, it's actually 200 times more cost effective to help Kenyan students and 20,000 times more cost effective to fund deworming. Not many people think of deworming when they think of improving education. And this was the fourth mistake that I made. I focused on solutions that were right in front of me rather than trying to find what was most effective. If you want to do the most good you can, effective altruism is the idea that we should use the most cost effective interventions and use our time as effectively as possible. For some causes, this means directly funding what we know to work, like anti-malarial bed nets or cash incentives for childhood vaccinations. For causes like climate change or factory farming, this might involve political or corporate advocacy. And for causes like preparing for a pandemic or for safe artificial intelligence, our best approach might involve scientific research. Some of these things aren't sure bets. Not every method of preventing pandemics is going to work but they're bets worth taking if we want to safeguard the future of humanity. It's like the bet of doing physical activity. It's not guaranteed to save you from a heart attack, but it's one of the best tools we have. Effective altruism is like the exercise for humanity. 
It can be hard to do at first, but it's one of the best ways to help the world. Just like exercise, it can become incredibly satisfying because there are lots of options to fit each person and community of people who connect with your values. That's what the Effective Altruism community tries to provide. As you can tell, I love being part of the EA community. Not only did it give me some of the tools that we've discussed so far, it's given me the support to bounce back from my mistakes. But when I first started learning about Effective Altruism, I had a lot of misconceptions. Many people associate effective altruism with philosophers who are utilitarian, and utilitarianism can be really demanding, amongst other things. To oversimplify utilitarianism, it's a moral philosophy that says the right thing to do is whatever maximizes the good for the most people. One problem is that a normal life in wealthy society does not exactly maximize the good of the most people. Let's take Peter Singer's shallow pond argument. To cut it really short, most of us would feel morally compelled to save a drowning child right in front of us, even if it came at some cost to ourselves. We couldn't face ourselves if we chose to save our phone and our laptop while we walked past and let her die. But most of us agree that the distance between us and the girl doesn't make her any less deserving of our help. Sure, it might make it a little harder for us to help, but it's still important to save her life. But if that were true, we're kind of faced with this situation all the time as we go about our normal lives. There are children all around the world who we could save for a few thousand dollars. And if we feel obliged to help a girl over here, why don't we feel the same for a child over there? When I first heard these arguments, I kind of oscillated between feeling like an asshole and trying to talk my way out of it. I'm filming this video on $1,000 worth of equipment that I could have used to save a kid's life. Does that make me a moral monster? I don't know, I found it really hard. Some people don't like these ideas. They don't see themselves as utilitarianism and so they kind of reject effective altruism too. This was one of my mistakes. I thought effective altruism was just for utilitarians. The truth is, you don't have to buy into utilitarianism or the shallow pond argument to care about doing good more effectively. Almost every philosophy emphasizes the importance of doing good and none of them says the right thing to do involves doing less good. To take an old thought experiment, if you found someone who was about to lose both legs, would you choose to save one leg or both? Like if it cost you the same time and money to save both legs, almost everyone would agree that's the right thing to do. This is all effective altruism proposes. When choosing to do good, do the thing that does the most good available to you. As we saw, it's often the choice between saving one leg and saving a hundred. But all of this still left me feel a little bit guilty, like I always had to be as effective as possible. This was my sixth mistake. I thought I was morally obliged to act. Worse than that, I thought I actually had to morally oblige others too. I quickly realized this was really unhelpful. Some people are persuaded by the obligation proposed by the drowning child, but for some people, this is really hard to sustain. Doing stuff because we feel like we should is a pretty weak source of motivation. It's less motivating to run from guilt than it is to push towards something that you want to be. Doing things because you're part of a group working towards a common goal is much more motivating. I want to be a person who has an impact on the world. I love working towards that goal and I love that there's a community of people who want to do the same thing. I realized I don't need to guilt someone into helping others and it doesn't work anyway. Instead, I found lots of people value helping others and value helping more rather than less. Those people, including myself, are more motivated by seeing how it connects with their values. So in 2016, I took the Giving What We Can pledge to donate 10% of my income to the world's most effective charities. Back then, I kind of thought that was all there was to effective altruism. 
I was really worried about other problems like climate change, mental illness, and the future of humanity. But I didn't think that's what effective altruism was really trying to fix. When I first heard about EA, I thought it was all just kind of bed nets and randomised trials. Yes, randomised trials can be one of the best ways to see if an intervention actually works. And yes, anti-malarial bed nets are still one of the most cost-effective things we can do to improve others' lives. But effective altruism is not just about giving money to bed nets. It's an ongoing project asking a question, how can I do the most good with the resources available to me? For some people in the community, the answer is donating money to bed nets. But so many solutions to the world's most pressing problems can't be tested like this. Many people are using these ideas to work on the risks of climate change, to prevent nuclear war, to make artificial intelligence safe, to improve political decisions, to reduce factory farming, and to stop the next pandemic that could be 10 times worse than COVID. EA is not just donating to bed nets, it's a collective effort for each of us to use our strengths to do what's best for the world. That's a really hard thing to figure out. So places like GiveWell help people figure out where to donate, and 80,000 Hours helps people figure out how to best use their careers. But these recommendations aren't fixed either. The community is committed to updating their beliefs in light of new evidence and are always looking for new and better ways to do good. So EA is exciting because it isn't just a list of top charities or a fixed ideology. It's a group of people constantly trying to make the world a better place with what they have. If that sounds like you, then one of the best things you can do is help other people learn how to do good better. If you help even just one other person to choose a more effective career or donate to a more effective charity, you're making your own impact even bigger by growing the community of people who are working on the world's most pressing problems. But when I first started to talk to others about EA, I made a total mess of it. I'd put people off rather than pulling them in. And one reason was that I always started with the really controversial ideas. For example, I'd start with the shallow pond argument because I personally found the argument pretty compelling. The problem is, we're more open to new opinions from other people who've shown that they share our values. By starting with a maybe controversial or guilt-inducing idea, some would get their hackles up. They felt I was trying to pressure them into change, so they'd come back with their own arguments. Focusing on the most controversial ideas makes EA seem weirder than it really is. It's not weird to care about others. We're all wired to be kind. It's not weird to care about effective interventions. That's the backbone of science and medicine. It's a bit weird to think that artificial intelligence might take over the world, but it's not weird to prepare for small probabilities of really, really bad outcomes. That's insurance. Like connecting with people using values you both agree on is a better first step than starting with the most outlandish ideas. Most people care about helping people. So they choose a career that tries to do good in the world and they donate some money to charity. No one wants their career or their donation to go to waste and most people would prefer to help 100 people than one person. Now, people might not realise that some careers or charities are 100 times more impactful and that's where we can be helpful if they want to hear it. But people don't want to hear what we say if instead of connecting with their values, we make them feel guilty for not helping the millions of people dying on the other side of the world. That points to one other mistake. I thought reiterating the size of the problem should be a really good motivator for people. In some people, this has the opposite effect. Big problems can seem impossible to solve. What could I do to stop the thousands of people dying from malaria? These numbers are important for making good decisions, but they're sometimes not as motivating as stories. We love hearing stories of people who've changed the world. 
We're inspired by stories of people who we admire doing amazing things. I think so many of us want to do something about the world's most pressing problems, but we kind of feel paralyzed by the size of the problem. Stories can show us that we can. They can help us know that the things we do actually help to make a difference. But those stories can be even more motivating if the people doing the amazing things are just normal people like you and me. For a long time, I didn't tell my story. I worried that telling stories about donating to charity make me look sanctimonious. Look, the truth is, there probably were some times that I was being a bit sanctimonious. I used to wield a guilt trip like Don Bradman wielded a cricket bat. But once I realized what I was doing wrong, I just stopped talking about it entirely. This was really unhelpful. I don't think we should hide things that we have a reason to be proud of, especially when sharing it can improve the world. We don't all need to talk about it on YouTube, but talking with your friends and family about what you've learned can help them act on their values too. Being a good role model doesn't make you sanctimonious. It can make you an inspiration for people to follow. Yes, yeah, some haters gonna hate, but some people will really appreciate you sharing something that you're so passionate about. I hope I've had that effect on you.